On this episode of Survival Dispatch News, we've got a great panel to discuss what to look out for in the following months as far as preparedness. This Survival Dispatch video is brought to you by Nutrient Survival. Nourish your body, power your mind. And we're back with Survival Dispatch News. If you haven't met me before, my name's Chris. I'm with Ammo.com, and I have a spectacular panel today to discuss the top five things that you need to be preparing for this coming month. With that, we have Mike Shelby joining us today from Forward Observer. Glad to have you here, Mike. He is an excellent source of information, and he's gonna. we're really going to lean on him for this discussion. We've got Dr. Jennifer Stankus with us here today, as well as a subject matter expert. And of course, the Dean of Demolition, Mike Sterling, is here, our EOD technician. So uh, before we get into this, if you like this type of content, please make sure you get down there and click that like and subscribe button. Click the bell icon right next to it to get notified every time we upload new content. But Mike, there has been a lot of things going on around the world lately. Uh, let's get started. What is it that we need to be looking out for this month? Well, just for this month, I mean, kind of uh, a, a short list for, for just looking at things this month, but it's summer. There's always going to be uh, uh, issues with, with power availability. This country, the United States, has the same exact electrical generation capacity that it had in 2011. Federal government's been bringing down uh, power plants. The energy regulatory commissions have been warning about power outages this, this summer uh, for two thirds of the country, I have two freezers full of beef. That's a very important uh, uh, topic for me. So, you know, I'd say just for this month, that's probably my number one concern. Yeah, that's a really good point. Obviously, the power grid is a point of concern for a lot of preppers. Uh, I know it's something that we always are concerned about, whether it be rolling blackouts, which are obviously the more likely scenario, or something more drastic. Uh, you know, such as a CME or something like that. Of course, that's going to be incredibly rare. Uh, but uh, Dr. Jen, touch base with us here. Uh, you know, you obviously have a lot of experience. Uh, you're a former LEO. You're a veteran of two different branches of the military. Uh, so tell us, what are you looking at as far as making sure that you can keep the lights on? Yeah, so I agree. I think, I mean, refrigeration is important, but we see a lot of people die from heat exposure every year, um, especially elderly people. Uh, it's nice if you have the capacity to have a generator so that when power goes down, um, you can live off the grid and do just fine, but not everyone has that capability. So just really knowing where you can go in that instance, um, if you need to, um, to get out of the heat. Yeah, I think heat is a big issue, especially lately, uh, you know, with things going on. I'm sure Mike has more hot topics to discuss here in a minute. Uh, but, you know, it's someone who's dealt with the heat, who's been overseas quite a bit. Uh, Mike, what did you do when you were in the field, uh, you know, disarming mines and stuff like that to keep yourself cool? Uh, I sweat. That's fair. <laughs> I sweat a lot. <laughs> um yeah, and and I, I agree with Mike that you know this time of year uh, is 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 very bad for this sort of thing. Um, and I've got several contracts with with a bunch of energy companies working on trying to get new uh, power plants up and running. And it's just the the regulatory hurdles are a nightmare to have to go through. It's uh, it, it's crazy. I've sat in a couple of those meetings and just gone, ha, ah, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to dealing with the ordinance. That's that's it's safer. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, trying to trying to stay cool is a big thing. Uh, it, it you know if you're if you're hopefully in a in a uh, 
in a, in a house that has ventilation. Ventilation is your key. I know so many people that they'll be like, oh, it's so hot in here, but their house is all sealed up. Okay, well, at a certain point, you're going to have to actually open those windows. You're going to have to try and stay cool. You're going to have to not wear, you know, the restrictive clothing uh, as much as is possible. Um, and, you know, kind of like a lot of what we did in the Middle East was, you know, you, you, it, it's the same as Mexico, you know, daytime is, you know, you, you got your big siesta chunk there in the middle of the day. Uh, Mike, I know, you know, that down in Texas, man, I mean, it's, it is, it is brutal down there with a capital brew in the summer. And a matter of fact, when I was stationed out there in Texas, we used to literally, we would take midday off and we would actually spend a lot of time working nights uh, because it's just, it's just too hot to, to, to work during the heat of the day a lot of the time. So rest cycle during the, during the worst of the heat, work early, work late. Definitely really great pieces of advice. Uh, I would say uh, recently actually here in Indiana, we had a rather short power outage. Uh, if you've been keeping an eye on things, uh, we had another tornado run through my neck of the woods and our power was actually knocked out for five hours uh, last week or last weekend rather. So that was a little bit of an excitement. Uh, but one of the things I would say, obviously, we're talking about opening up the windows from a chemistry standpoint, convection, open those top windows to let that hot air escape out of your house to try and help that natural airflow will definitely help. And of course, uh, if you have to work outside and you still have some, you know, aspects of power, such as water pressure, putting a cold washcloth around your neck, uh, a good way to help kind of relieve that heat, that body heat, and make you feel a little bit more comfortable if the power goes out. But uh, hopefully you'll have warnings about rolling blackouts, but you may not. So being ahead of that game is a good thing to do. So have things in place like flashlights, candles, and just be ready uh, to take on that heat if it happens. Uh, Mike, what else have you got for us? Well, looking a little farther than a month out uh, later this year, early, maybe first quarter next year is recession. You know, this mm. is something that economists and and uh, investors have been talking a lot about for a year, as a matter of fact, Biden just uh, told uh, he's he's actually in Chicago today to give a speech on Bidenomics. That's apparently going to be a core part of his campaign. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me campaigning on the economy when it, it is showing signs of deterioration in some areas. And uh, a number of investment banks, actually, almost all the investment banks we track, uh, probably close to a dozen of them, have said that um, they expect recession in uh, the second half of this year, probably closer to Q4 or uh, first quarter 2025, and I can just go down the list here. Uh, HSBC, mild recession this year. JP Morgan, recession, fourth quarter 23 or first quarter 24. Bank of America, mild recession in first quarter 24. Mild recession in Q4 23 from Deutsche Bank. BlackRock with $9 trillion in assets under management. Uh, they say mild recession this year. Standard Chartered said 70% chance of recession by uh, Q124. So I do think we're staring this in the face. The qu the only question for me is, is this going to be longer than average? Is it going to be deeper than average? Is it going to be mild or wild? Yeah, that's a really good question. Obviously, on all of uh, preppers' minds, one of the doomsday scenarios is an economic collapse. Now, of course, we're talking recession, which is a little bit different. Uh, and actually, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 28th. Powell came out today, the you know the the chair for the Fed, and said that they're expecting a soft landing, but they're not ruling out the potential for a recession. I love the rhetoric coming out uh, of the Fed and and things like that. So, uh, you know, uh, Mike, let's start with you. Uh, obviously, you have things to say about that. I can tell, uh, and then we'll follow up with Dr. Jen. What are your thoughts on a recession for this year? 
well, personally, I think we're already in a recession. Oh, yeah. um, being a being a small business owner, and this act this actually hit me recently. Um, if you if you're a small business owner and you survived the last three years, the chances are that you're going to have debt. Well, so many of these banks just took it in the short so heavily that that everybody all, all the all the re remaining banks are just scared to death. Well, at at this point, um businesses like mine where you have to have a solid financial partner to work with because you do a lot of works up front and you have to front the money um banks are not loaning to small businesses that have any debt and if you're a small business that survived the last three years you have debt period that's all there is to it so um small business being the cornerstone of u.s industry and the economy you're going to see you're getting ready to see a whole lot of small businesses just even more than we've seen over the last three years go by the wayside just because of lack of liquidity that's definitely a good point uh you know so i, I think the big thing we can take away here is make sure you support your local small business whenever you can uh you know if you've got local farmers markets things like that make sure you go in there uh, and making trying to do your best to help them stay in business because that's really the cornerstone of your community uh, Dr. Jen, tell us, uh, you know, as far as a recession, what are you seeing? What are you thinking might be some things we might run into if that were to happen? Just from a health perspective, I think that it's pretty anxiety producing for people, especially people who are like really right on the edge and aren't sure how they're going to make ends meet. Um, and just, you know, making sure that you're taking care of your uh, of that and, you know, not looking for <laughs> drugs or alcohol or other things that are going to make things worse, but, you know, stay healthy stay active, um, be connected with people, especially like-minded people who can help you through that. And, you know, this is um, Men's Mental Health Awareness Month, as you know, also, which is a huge deal for our veterans. But then the other thing is just really prioritizing your your money and how you're spending money. Um, for me, you know, we, we, we do keep a lot of food storage and, you know, beans and legumes and rices and things like that are really cheap and you can live a really long time on those and and even improve your health by eating those things and and save a lot of money too so just i'd say mental and physical health when you're going through um psychologically and and also stressful times just from a financial standpoint you know that's a really good point that i think a lot of people don't think about is is the mental aspects that a, an economic recession can have on you whether you know like what mike was talking about with you know potential business failings that obviously is going to hit you really hard or if it's like if you lose your job where's your next meal going to come from if you have some of that food storage built up it's a great insurance policy uh and that's obviously something that we talk about here on survival dispatch is making sure you build up that survival cache of food and you know things that you need essentials to make sure that you can get through a disaster like this and recessions can last some time uh, if we remember back to 0708 it was not a quick thing it wasn't here for a month and then it was gone uh, so in my opinion if something like that were to happen we're probably going to see prices go up so it's better to buy it now when it's cheaper if you have the financial ability to do so and put it away like dr jen was saying these staple foods, pretty inexpensive, relatively speaking, right now to other things like steak. Don't get me started on that, Mike, you with your big freezer full of steak. Uh, so <laughs> we're coming to Mike's house for the barbecue later. Uh, <laughs> but uh, definitely, you know, have those things back. And if you need to dip into your preps, do it. That's why you're prepping. Uh, so have those things on hand, ready to go in case, you know, the economy takes a bit of a dip. 
Yeah, and if you weren't gardening before, it's good times. Now's the time to be gardening. I'll tell yep. you, make like I've, I, I, I preach it all the time. Make those mistakes now when you can make a seventy-five cent mistake versus making that mistake, you know, a year from now when your mistake in the garden results in sitting there watching your children starve, yep. which is is going to tear any of us up. Um, you know, and, and just like you were saying, Chris, you know, working, working amongst a group of folks, you know, if you can, if, if you can get that mag together, man, many hands make light work. Oh yeah, for sure. We just built a, a, a standing or a, a raised bed here at my house and it was a job and a half. And if I had a couple extra hands, it would have made life a lot easier. For sure. All right, Mike, let's keep it going. And just as a heads up, guys, if you're not subscribed to the Florida Observer YouTube channel, please make sure you do so. We'll make sure we put that link down in the subscription. Uh, lend them a hand because they're giving out some amazing information and they wanted to share it with us. All right, Mike, so what's number three? Well, can I just make one final point on oh, yeah, the yeah, recession here? So the average recession uh, is about 10 to 11 months. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen some calls of maybe a six-quarter recession. That's a year and a half. Uh, so substantially longer, maybe 50% longer than than average. And and that's just one call. But I would say, you know, that that's probably closer to a worst case scenario. I, just me personally, um, I, I would much rather be planning for an 18-month recession than a, an 11-month 11, 11 recession too. So, you know, that that's kind of far out there. And the timing is still a, a big question mark. You know, we don't know obviously exactly when it's going to happen. I, I tend to agree with Mike. I think some of the numbers, the official GDP numbers coming out, are, I think they could be massaged to uh, make it appear that that those numbers are stronger than they are. Ultimately, the, though, this goes back to federal spending. The federal spending drives so much of of um, U.S. economic growth, uh, and so when we talk about the debt uh, debt ceiling, they're they're going to apparently, I think, in October of this year, maybe have another debt ceiling fight, um, or maybe by January next year. So this is not the last that we've heard of debt ceiling and and. And federal spending, Republicans obviously want to cut federal spending. Federal spending gets cut. GDP growth is is going to slow. So, um, you know, this I think this is going to be a much bigger deal going into the fall and, and winter. So, Mike, a uh, real quick question um, following up on that. What do you think are going to be the global uh, issues tied back to this? You know, we're looking at we're looking at that. Um, you know, BRICS Plus trying to do everything that they're trying to do, but at the same time, China also not having, you know, the liquidity to back up, you know, they're, they're kind of in a, they're on an all hat, no cattle kind of situation uh, with some of the stuff that they're dealing with. Plus, we're also looking at, you know, major, major disruption of, of commerce with Taiwan coming around. We're looking at Eastern Europe uh, flaring up. We're looking at a lot of uh, we're looking at a lot of increased disruption there in Africa over natural resources. You know, I mean, could could we be looking at could we be looking at you know just continuing you know like an eighteen month recession globally, or could we be looking at a longer uh, at a slow slide towards depression? Well, you know, depression is. Interesting you bring that up because if you look at what's happening with the M2 money supply right now, it's contracting at levels that we've seen during previous depressions, not quite at the level of the Great Depression, but uh, same level as, as financial panics, uh, you know, like 1918, I think was one. And so, you know, we are actually, I was just talking to Harrison this morning about M2 contraction of the M2 money supply, and that is causing liquidity problems. I do 
one thing I've noticed over the past three years, just from following the research of investment banks, going into COVID, they really undersold the effects of, of the lockdowns. And it was week after week, they would continually downward revise their expectations. Going in okay, after the lockdowns, going into the recovery, they week to week oversold uh, the economic recovery. And so we get uh, more downward divisions on on the recovery and economic growth coming out of that. I can't help but wonder if they're kind of slow pedaling this in the same way they've done the past two, two big sh economic shifts. I agree with you that there are also some geopolitical considerations. You know, obviously the Black Sea grain deal, if, if that doesn't get renewed, it looks like it's not. Uh, if that doesn't get renewed in Ukraine, then Russian grain and fertilizer is not going to be leaving the port of Odessa. We have a potential scenario where Ukraine could potentially lash out and uh, strike some of those Russian grain ships. And so, you know, that just that's kind of like a, a left field kind of thing, but it's not the likelihood's not zero. And so that's just one example of how we could actually have some substantial um, global instability in the coming months. You know, we look at um, it's funny, the uh, the. House Republicans, actually, this may actually have been a bipartisan effort by Republicans and Democrats, but they want to fund a feasibility study for the United States to uh, uh, U.S. Navy to conduct a, a blockade, a naval blockade of China if China – and I know, and Max and I were talking about it, and it's just bonkers insane, but they want to do a feasibility study on that, um, and uh, apparently maybe that be, that may be a course of action – for when uh, China does can start to conduct military operations on Taiwan, kind of on that topic as well. Taiwan recently, I think yesterday, said that they were going to uh, attack any Chinese naval, naval vessels or aircraft that violates their airspace. And so China, you know, the, PL, the People's Liberation Army Navy, the PLAN, they have been conducting operations, uh, getting pretty up close and personal with Taiwanese airspace. So, you know, I think that's kind of another one of those left field possibilities that in, I mean, literally within a few minutes, you go from kind of situation normal to uh, to massive problems uh, geopolitically with uh, the U U.S. and foreign markets. So uh, there's a lot of kind of those not quite black swans, but uh, uh, balloon burst opportunities out there. So real quick, um, for all of our viewers out there, if you guys are not familiar with with Mike Shelby here from from in the Forward Observer Group, I'm here to tell you that um, these guys these guys are probably one of the better private intelligence groups that I've ever seen. And this is going to be Mike. This is just a, a, an absolute shameless plug for you. You uh, you kick me in the butt when I first came across you guys and, uh, and reminded me that I was supposed to be running an S2 cell. Uh, it, and yeah, I, so if you're not, if you're not performing, uh, if you're not performing local area intelligence operations prior to things going bad, um, and actually organizing that, then you're an absolute fool and you are, you are missing out big time. And, and honestly, if you subscribe to subscribe to Mike Shelby and the and the guys here at, at Forward Observer and the the Gray Zone in, Intelligence Group, I'm telling you these guys have got their act together. And the big the big point of this whole thing being is uh is and and Chris, I know you've heard me preach this before because Mike, you kicked me in the teeth on this one as well. Was the sixty thirty ten uh uh method for in, intelligence in particular the so the 10 you should only be spending and, and i see this it's this is 
endemic in the in, in the prepper community. You should only sp be spending 10% of your intelligence time looking at geopolitical and and worldwide stuff. Okay, the, it, you, you can't you can't control any of those things. You can't affect those things, but you do need to stay you know in in touch with those things. You you need to be cognizant of them, and just just getting the you know the information from Mike and the guys here. Uh, on a daily basis, getting your your daily sit reps has freed up so much of my time for doing local intelligence uh, studies. So, yeah, shameless plug to to our friend uh, friends here at, at Ford Observer. And if you if you if you're if you're not looking at that, you really should. Definitely I appreciate that, Mike. Of course, I want to take a quick break from the panel and discuss our top comment from last week's video. Now, if you remember, our last survival dispatch news was about the top 10 skills for urban survival in SHTF. And if you missed it, make sure you check it out here in the annotated video. But our comment is from Jeff B5781. And he says, I respect the skills you guys have, but this is way too much for most people. If one has to be proficient in all of these skills, which he says most Navy SEALs don't even know all this stuff. You're talking Mad Max and virtually nobody survives, but the most brutal animal humans. I believe in solid preparing, but this is over the top. Jeff, thank you for that comment. I really appreciate it. And one thing I want to emphasize from this is, you know, we don't expect you to know everything. We understand that there is only so many hours in the day. There's only so much you can do, but we think it's a good idea that you have a solid grasp on at least some of these principles and skills. And the other thing is a lot of these skills you can pick up passively. You know, when we're talking about street smarts or situational awareness, that's something that you just kind of build on over time. I'm not expecting you to go out to a handyman, you know, convention and learn how to build a, you know, a, a hanging garden or your own house out in the wilderness next week okay it's something that you will build on over time but there's skills that will be very useful and things that you could start working on now i noticed a lot of our commenters and replies to this comment said you know that's what you know a mag is for a mutual assistant group and that's a great point we understand that no one can be a master of all trades but during shtf the more varied your skills are the better off your chances for survival and Again, Jeff, thank you for bringing up that comment. And I wanna take a special moment to thank all of our commenters on our last video who listed their top 10 skills that they would start practicing for urban survival in SHGF. You guys are awesome. Keep on commenting and let's get back to the video. All right, so uh, we got off on a little tangent there. Let's bring it back. Uh, Mike, what's our next issue we need to talk about? No, I, th I appreciate it, Mike uh, Sterling. It was a good question and something I think that really added a lot of value. So I think our, our viewers will appreciate that. Yeah, so they're, yeah, they're, there are other uh, tactical, potentially tactical level decisions with with uh, catastrophic or strategic consequences. But uh, you know, the next thing I'm really looking at, probably coinciding, maybe even triggering a recession, is uh, the next financial crisis. And there's been a lot of talk about commercial real estate. And you look at areas like San Francisco and other places where you have occupancy rates of like 30 percent in some of those buildings. And so they're declining values. The, the commercial real estate companies, um, you know, are not making the, the money they once did. They don't have the cash flow. The problem is, you know, they go to sell some of these real estate property properties. They may not be worth what they actually bought it for. So they could be looking at losses. The next big thing too, is in the next two years, there's about $1.5 trillion of commercial real estate loans that need, will need to be refinanced. We're looking at higher rates. We're looking at lower property values. So there is the potential there. 
well, actually, as, as Mike Sterling mentioned, uh, credit rationing, these banks are raising their credit standards. And so there's just not enough money to go around. And so I, I do, it does concern me quite a bit looking at, you know, what's going to happen to these commercial real estate companies in, and not just CRE loans, but also construction loans. And so uh, you look at, and my particular concern is, I'm not that concerned about San Francisco. Some of these real estate, if there is like a commercial real estate type collapse, um, obviously cities like San Francisco are going to be hit hardest. But what I really want to focus on is the contagion risk. Where's that spilling over into? And these regional banks on it nationally, Regional banks have anywhere between 18 to 30% of their assets tied up in commercial real estate loans. And so if there is a, a CRE crisis, these regional banks are going to be on the hook. And so, you know, just looking from a preparedness perspective, where do you have your money? Is it in a regional bank that has uh, that has massive exposure to commercial real estate? And, you know, just for me, like that's kind of the uh, a contagion risk that we're we're following day to day here at Ford Observer. Yeah, you know, I think it's a good point because a lot of us don't think about these things, right? I think it's easy in the, the prepping community to just be like, oh, whatever, commercial loans, I don't have to deal with that because I don't own a business. But, you know, Mike, you kind of touched on that with the contagion risk of it spreading to your bank uh, and things like this. So this can obviously cause a lot of mental you know, concern for people and uh, financial concern as well. I mean, we saw with Silicon Valley what happened. Now, that was a different situation. It wasn't necessarily commercial real estate, but this is something that could happen similar and we have, you know, potential runs on the banks. I'm not going to say go get your money out now. That's not what I'm suggesting because that you could create a run on the bank, which we don't want to do. And we are not here to give financial advice, just FYI. But uh, Dr. Jen, what are your thoughts on this? Because, I mean, this is a big thing. You know, the banking system here in the United States seems rather fragile. Yeah, you know, I'm definitely not an, an expert on, on this. And it's a really interesting problem. I mean, just from a a, a bigger perspective, you know, people are worried about, you know, paying their medical bills, going bankrupt from that, um, that just the amount of money that people spend on, on healthcare is ridiculous. Um, I, I actually wanted to get back to one thing that I thought was important that Mike said on his tangent, <laughs> which was that, um, you know, I, I had no idea how big of a problem supply chain was going to be until COVID hit. I mean, things that we we didn't even think about. Like, you know, it was never even a thought that it would be almost impossible to get a part for a common refrigerator. We got stuck in Utah for two weeks because our def pump went out in our truck and we and you can't drive it. And I'm like, really, that's like a really common common thing to have happen. There was one aftermarket death pump in the country. UPS lost it, they found it later. But we were literally stranded for two and a half weeks because there was no death pump. And so I, I think resilience is super important, not only from a, a mental health standpoint, but also from a financial standpoint and just a basic living standpoint. And one of the things that this taught me was that you have to be able to be really creative and be able to adapt to whatever is happening. Um, you know, if you can't get certain supplies, then you need to figure out, you know, what to do. And and certainly pooling resources and coming together as a as, as a prepper community, you know, we all have different skills. We all have different, um, you know, resources and just, you know, coming together and helping each other out, I think is super important. 
So that's a really good point. Obviously, if we have a commercial, you know, collapse or something like that happens, we have a real estate bubble and a lot of these companies start, you know, having to lay people off, it's going to be even harder to get those spare parts, things that you need, uh, whether it be medicines, uh, you know, parts for your car, refrigerator, uh, maybe you need uh, some lumber. Remember what happened to plywood during 2020? Uh, you know, uh, it's simple things like that, like you said, Dr. Jen, that we, we just take for granted. It, it's good to have at least a couple of these spare parts on hand if you need them. Now, I'm not saying you need to go buy out every piece that could go out on your truck or something like that, but, you know, just having some simple hand tools around and having a little bit of experience working with these things so that maybe you can fix a problem if it comes up. Uh, all right, uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on the uh, commercial real estate issue? So uh, one thing that I was going to, I actually had a question for Dr. Jen was with the with the increase in the commercialization of of medical care um going back to mike's point with loss possible loss of commercial real estate and the increase in in the cost of just doing medicine um could we see could we see a reduction in available care from your standpoint we already have like lots and lots of regional and critical access hospitals are going under. One of the things that has happened was, um, you know, th the margin for hospitals is really low. It's like 1%. And when you start, um, you know, especially when the government stops reimbursing at a rate that covers costs, these, these little hospitals can't survive. They literally cannot survive. If you have a big system where, you know, one is profitable and another isn't, they can kind of help each other out. But these small little regional care facilities that, you know, good people in the farming communities and everything else rely on are going out of business. And it's a huge concern. Um, the medicine, I think, is the, I think that the medical industry is one of the most at-risk industries. And I'll tell you, it's not getting better. And one of the things that concerns me too is that they're starting to replace physicians with um, with newly minted physician assistants and other people who really don't have the training and experience to take care of you well. And um, so that's a huge concern. I agree. I've actually seen a couple of uh, instances where you've got you've got part of the medical industry that that um, they all got they basically got run out of of mainstream medicine because of you know saying hey look I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take you know COVID vaccines or something like that and they're opening their own little uh, community clinics specifically you know to service these holes in the in in the in the service world and it's it's funny. Um, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, and it's it's funny watching the uh, it's funny watching the uh, uh, the preparedness groups out there, the mags and stuff. Almost exclusively, from what I've seen, these little clinics are all parts of the the people in the clinics are parts of mutual assistance groups, and that's a beautiful thing to see. I agree. Um, I I totally agree. One of the things that I thought was really funny, well, not funny, but horrific and and interesting was. When um, when some of these places fired people who wouldn't take the COVID shot, but then were so understaffed, had to take people who actually had active COVID <laughs> and made them work. I was like, great plan, guys. Uh, that that worked out really well. Yeah, my wife is a nurse, and she had to kind of deal with that as well. Uh, you know, even in the in the big hospitals, they're like, oh, if if you you know 
been, you know, mostly asymptomatic for a couple of days, you can come back. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. It's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about those pustules. You'll be fine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's monkey pox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Change your socks. Take these two 800 milligram Motrin, drink a bottle of water, go back to work. Exactly. You'll be fine. Yeah. All right, cool. Add uh, one more, if, if I can add one more threat to on the topic of healthcare, yeah, because you know, especially in our community, you know, there there are a lot of aging folks, and there was a hospital in a regional medical facility in Illinois that shut down last week due to a uh, a ransomware attack, and uh, someone clicked on an email, clicked a link they shouldn't have, and it's just spread throughout the the hospital system network, encrypted their computers, and they went out of business. They either couldn't afford to pay the ransom or they just said, we're not going to pay it. And so, you know, there's some of the human interest stories where, you know, oh, now, you know, this person has to drive 45 minutes to the next nearest hospital. And so, you know, when Mike earlier was talking about the importance of doing an area study, you know, they, I just wrote a book on the on called the Area Intelligence Handbook. And, you know, that's the kind of local infrastructure that we need to take note of. What happens if, you know, this is the only only medical facility within an hour of where you live. And for whatever reason, you know, probably low risk, but high impact, you know, it goes down and, you know, what are the options? So I also think that's a, a, a pretty practical thing to include in your area studies. What happens if medical infrastructure around you fails? Now, this is a really good rabbit hole and I'm kind of liking this. So let, let's keep following it down. Uh, so Dr. Jen, obviously you're our, our doctor here. Uh, so what are some things that people can do, you know, if, something like this happens. Let's kind of spitball this for a second. Let's say that your hospital or your doctor's office gets completely wiped out by a cyber attack. Uh, what are some things you can do to kind of insulate yourself from that type of disaster? Well, I mean, it's it's not ideal, but so much in medicine isn't, but there's always telehealth. Um, there are like mail-in prescriptions, um, things like that. So, um, you know, I, I don't really... Uh, oh, I'll just give you one piece of advice. And that is, if you want to live a long life, avoid the medical system. <laughs> I joke, but I don't joke. Um, no, I understand. Seriously, like just learning how to take care of yourself. There are so many medical errors and, you know, every procedure comes with risk. So I, I really tell people, you know, you want to, just like you're, you're trying to optimize your preparedness, you want to optimize your body's preparedness too. And, you know, trying to learn how to stay healthy. I personally keep things at home so I don't have to go to the hospital. Um, you know, I, this is not medical advice. Don't sue me. But um, but th things that are so simple, like, you know, cleaning out a wound and, and stitching it up. Those things are pretty simple to do. Um, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to do it. Um, but, you know, just trying to avoid the health system by staying healthy and then you know, if, if it's an option and it's not an emergency and you don't need an emergency procedure, you know, maybe telehealth isn't a bad way to go. No, it's great advice. I think, you know, another thing is like having some of those things on hand, like gauze and things like that. You know, a quick personal story. I was working on uh, the garage this weekend and I, I took a stumble in the garage, put my shin right into a propane canister and gave myself a nice little cut on the on the leg. And I'm not going to show any pictures. I, I know you don't all want to see that, but we'll just say that the wife had to work on it quite a bit to get everything under control. So having those things available, having those gauze, those bandages, uh, those things that you would need to treat something like that, 
uh, you know, is really important as far as preparedness is concerned, because you're going to burn through it a lot faster than you think. Yeah. I want to just throw in a, a quick plug. Um, so I'm, I fly out a week from Friday to do the Surviving Man All-Star shoot in Belize. And one of the sponsors is a company called Stop Lead. And this is one of the coolest, most innovative, simple, cheap products I've ever seen. Um, un, unlike Quick Clot that is super painful and has to be removed from the wound, Stop Lead is just, it's like, it's a sheet. You can tear it, put it, like do whatever you need to do with it. It's um, it, it will cover the wound. It'll stop bleeding. Um, it, it it's a really great product. Um, you know, it, you don't have to worry about infection underneath of it. So for a lot of simple things, burns, blisters, things like that, it's a really easy, cheap way to to um, take care of things at home by yourself. The other thing is it's a great thing for an active shooter. You know, if you use the tourniquet, for example, you are stopping all down flow, you know, downstream flow to that limb and potentially risking that limb. And it's also painful as hell. If you've ever had even a, you know, blood pressure cuff too tight for a minute, you're like, yeah, get that thing off of me. Imagine a tourniquet for, you know, minutes to hours, whatever. So the stop lead actually just you know, creates, um, allows the platelets and things to to go to where the bleeding is, and it doesn't disrupt any of the other vasculature. So it's it's something to look into. Uh, just you know, look it up there on. You can get it on Amazon. It's over the counter. It's super easy, but it's uh, it's a really important thing to have at home. Uh, that's some great advice. Absolutely. All right, uh, Mike, what else is on your radar at Florida Observer? Well, we, we covered a little bit of this earlier, but geopolitical risk. So, mm -hmm. you know, obviously it was a, a wild weekend in Russia and, uh, you know, that appears appears to have settled down quite a bit now. Um, however, you know, we're still looking at uh, some U.S. officials pressuring the Biden administration to provide uh, these, it's called the Army Tactical Missile System or ATACMS to Ukraine. And uh, U.S. officials... I should say, I guess maybe former generals like Ben Hodges, uh, Army uh, retired lieutenant colonel, excuse me, not lieutenant colonel, I just demoted him, uh, lieutenant general, rather. Um, he wants to, uh, he wants the U.S. to provide attackums to Ukraine because that's going to put the Ukrainian army within range of Crimea. And if anyone who studied any kind of Russian nuclear doctrine knows, there's like four reasons why Russian would use nuclear weapons. And one of those is attacks against uh, Russian territory. Well, Russia annexed Crimea. And so that probably, is, or that may end up being a, a red line that Russia tries to enforce us through maybe a tactical nuclear weapon against Kiev, which, you know, again, uh, seems like fairly low probability. But one thing that we have seen with the Biden administration is they really slow walk uh, kind of escalating military equipment. So, you know, at first, the Biden administration, administration said, well, you know, we're, we're not going to provide Abrams tanks. But we're going to give them Bradleys. Okay, well, if you understand U.S. Army warfighting doctrine, you know that Bradleys and Abrams tanks are going to go hand in hand. So uh, then we saw the Europeans come out and said, yeah, we'll, we'll give them the, our Leopard 2 tanks. And then Biden said, well, okay, well, if you're going to give them tanks, we'll give them the Abrams. And so, you know, they're kind of doing the same thing on F-16s right now. And, you know, it may be the case that Biden actually does provide attackums to Ukraine. And what happens when Ukraine starts launching these uh, missiles towards uh, Russian naval ships. I mean, the their Black Sea fleet is right there in uh, 
in uh, Sevastopol. So um, the, you know, the big question is, does that escalate things? And is Russia going to use a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine? And then what are the domestic effects of that? Because there are U.S. officials that say uh, this is a situation where they're going to pressure the Biden administration to go tit for tat with nuclear weapons with Russia, which just seems absolutely insane. But it's 2023. So we kind of have to identify some of the kind of second, third, fourth order you know, fourth, fifth order effects here domestically. But that that's a geopolitical shock that could throw a lot of things into a tailspin here at home. No, I mean, you're absolutely right, Mike, on that one. There's definitely a lot of angst right now uh, with the mission creep that we're seeing in Eastern Europe. I, I, everyone remembers the famous quote, right, from, from Biden, you know, if we provide F-16s, what's that? We call that World War III. That's his big quote. And now, of course, that's what we're talking about doing. Uh, so... It definitely is making a lot of concern and ripples in the prepper community being prepared for that. It's something in the past we kind of like wrote off like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Nuclear war is never going to happen. Uh, but now we're actually staring it in the face. I would say that we're, you know, probably pretty close to the tension level that we had at the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, from what I've seen. So, uh, Mike, you've been in the military for quite some time. Uh, what are your thoughts on this entire situation in Eastern Europe? So. To Mike's point, when it comes down to uh, when it comes down to Russian use of nuclear weapons, um, the Russians have got two different uh, two different uh, categories for for nuclear weapon use, and their battlefield nuclear weapons um, they were actually way out ahead of us on on the miniaturization side for for nuke weapons, and they actually have sub kiloton uh, battlefield nukes. And they don't understand why everybody in the West freaks out about them because they don't actually consider it a nuke. And we're only talking about, we're only talking, you know, like, like I said, one half kiloton type device. And for, for reference, the, uh, the devices at, at uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki were uh, between 12 and 20 kilotons. So we're talking something that's going to wreck like 10 city blocks and really not, really not dump a whole hell of a lot of radiation, but the West still sees a nuke as a nuke as a nuke as a nuke as a nuke. And we just put, put them all into one box and, and, and that's it. The Russians don't understand that. They never have. That was doctrine going all the way back into the, in, in, into the Soviet days. Um, battlefield, battlefield nukes are an option and they just don't understand why everybody freaks out about it when they want to use something little bitty tiny like that. Um, the good part is until you start using strategic nukes, you're not going to wind up seeing, you're not going to wind up seeing major issues with, um, with climate. You're not going to wind up seeing nuclear winter or anything like that. Um, the, the stuff that's going to cause those type of effects are when you start dropping um, either surface or subsurface uh, grounders. Uh, and usually it's the big stuff trying to tunnel out everybody, everybody else's either command and control facilities or, or nuclear silos. That's, that's, you know, I mean, if they, if they pace, you know, the Dakotas and, and, uh, and Montana and Wyoming, that's how you get huge disruptions in, in, in the world. Um, and everybody talks about, oh, I've got to have, you know, I've got to, I've got to get my potassium iodide. Well, for one, you know, it, that, that's for that's for radioactive iodine 131 to 135 36 somewhere around there um and and the vast majority of of nuclear devices don't release radioactive iodine that's predominantly a a uh, an after effect off of a faded giant type event which is a, a nuclear reactor meltdown 
type situation. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, Mike. They they need to they need to really take a good close look at this. Everybody, I I know it's slower, but people get you know people up in up in in the powers that be they get they get so wrapped around what they're looking at here they keep on looking at that 50 meter target and they keep forgetting the 300 meter target and and it's like okay guys you got to slow down have some patience let 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 the combat you know let, let it let it let it pair out if we lose ukraine you know the ukrainians gave it their best shot they can say i mean the russians are can potentially take ukraine and and mike you've said this about a billion times i can't hold it nobody can hold that place i mean congratulations welcome to vietnam you know you're, you're there's no way you're going to hold that place so yeah it would be it, it would be a, a perfect victory in and of itself um but yeah if i can i don't uh it may be confusing me with someone else i don't i don't think i've uh, said that well i mean we we've discussed it i mean they they could take that part of of ukraine oh, yeah, I, guess, I think the I russians could yeah. could press further if this ukrainian counteroffensive yeah. fails and uh i mean that that's like the last of the the remnants of the ukrainian army i i think we right. could see could potentially see a more successful russian counter uh counter counteroffensive right if that happens yeah. yeah that was what i meant is they can take the they can take the you know the portion the portion that they're working on um but they can't hold it uh you know i mean well not without pouring bodies into it which well, you know, the Russians do tend to be happy to do. Their typical operating procedure, SOP. So, all right, cool. Uh, Dr. Jen, uh, with regards to everything going on in Eastern Europe, what are you looking at? What are your concerns as far as that is, uh, you know, a possibility? Um, I'd just get back to food and supply chain issues again. Um, and then, I mean, this isn't really a medical, medical thing, but I'm a little bit worried about our military preparedness, um, having given away so many of our assets and resources. Um, but really, I think just going back to Mike Sterling's comment, I, you just have to be prepared for anything, things that you never thought were possible, like the supply chain things I never thought were possible. Well, just, you know, again, it just comes back to resilience and whatever happens, you have to deal with it. And so as prepared as you can be is great. And then improvise as you need to. And, and I think this community is really great and helpful to one another, but the grain is a huge, huge deal. Um, and fertilizer is a huge deal. So, you know, just being prepared to, to deal with that and just think about it, not in a way that you're anxious and, you know, oh God, is this going to happen? That can happen. I mean, you just live for today, but make sure that, you know, you're prepared. And um, <laughs> I, I don't like the idea of, of being paranoid and, and all of that. I do like the idea of being prepared and then dealing with things as they happen, if they happen. You know, it's a great point you make, because I think that there's so much angst right now in the preparedness community. Like, oh, what happens if they if they do use a tactical nuclear, what if, what if this, what if world war three kicks off? That's the big catchphrase right now, uh, you know, in the prepper community. And it's like, well, if you're prepping, you shouldn't be so worried about it. That That's the whole point of doing it guys is, and gals is just to 
be prepared for these situations so that you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about where your next meal is going to come from. You don't have to worry about, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? You've got your supplies. You've got your people that you can trust around you and you know you're going to be okay. Now, for me, as far as things going down in Eastern Europe and with the, you know, what Dr. Jen was talking about, how many things we've been sending over there, maybe picking up a couple extra boxes of ammunition might not be the worst idea. Uh, you know, I don't see the prices coming down on that anytime soon. And if you're a reloader like myself and you've seen the price of primers lately, it kind of makes you, you know, grab your heart a little bit and your blood pressure goes up a little. Uh, but uh, having some of those things on hand, that because if if we do get involved, uh, a lot of production capability is going to be shifted to the war effort. So, you know, ammunition may be incredibly hard to come by. If I recall the last time we were in a world war, it was incredibly hard to come by. So having some of those put away and stored properly, I know, Mike Sterling, you're big on, uh, you know, storing your ammo properly. Uh, and we want to talk about that sometime later. But, uh, you know, just having that in the back burner, a great thing to have just in case, uh, you know, because you may not be able to get it uh, in the future as easily. I'd agree that, you know, it's, it's great if you have a bunch of supplies until someone comes and takes them. <laughs> well, that's the whole idea of having that extra ammunition so that they can right. Yeah. So, but, you know, one of the things that I did over COVID and as the ammo became so expensive is I ended up doing a lot more, you know, scenario training, dry fire practice and all of that, um, which is really useful. I mean, really can improve your skills even, even more sometimes than going out and, and shooting a thousand dollars worth of ammo. Well, the nice thing is if you do need ammo, make sure you get it at ammo.com, guys. We've got some great <laughs> prices for you if you do like that live fire practice. But definitely dry fire is a great way to build those skills before you go to the range and do some live fire practice. Uh, a really inexpensive thing to do that really kind of gets that trigger control and trigger discipline down uh, so that you can make that training at the range count as much as possible. All right, Mike, do you have anything else for us? Or is that uh, you know kind of where you guys are looking right now? Well, if you want to go strategic big picture long term you know mike sterling talked about bricks plus mm -hmm. and you know we're, we're probably going to see bricks expand uh, at some point maybe as soon as august uh, with the annual brick summit uh, could be later in the year but they are trying to hammer out those exact rules on how they bring other countries on and so it, we've seen this from brazilian president lula da silva he is really big on de-dollarization he says it doesn't make any sense for uh, these countries to be buying dollars just to do international trade. Let's just do bilateral uh, currency trades. And so that is going to reduce some demand, some international demand for the dollar. That's also going to uh, could potentially weaken the dollar. I think actually this is probably part of China's strategy. I don't think they want the, the dig digital renminbi to replace the dollar as the global standard of trade. Uh, they just want to displace the dollar, remove like maybe 20 to 40% of of global trade off the dollar. And so that, depending on how rapidly that happens, it could be catastrophic to our money. Uh, but I always go back to the JP Morgan study. They, they did a 600 year study of world reserve currencies and they found that currencies last as a world reserve for on average 80 to hundred years. So we go back to Bretton Woods in 1944, you add 80, you get 2024, you add hundred, you get 2044. So we are probably 20 years out from the dollar losing world reserve currency status. And that's going to affect our, our quality of life and standard of living. And so, you know, for me, that's, that's a big part of my thinking is, you know, what is the shift going to look like? And what are we using to trade locally, if not dollars? 
It's a really good point. Obviously, if that type of thing were to happen, and I think we're slow seeing it happen very slowly, you know, countries moving away from the dollar, which is, you know, slightly concerning. Definitely dollars coming home would equal inflation, in my opinion. So uh, that's obviously a bad thing and that we kind of need to prepare for. So, uh, you know, having some of that stuff on hand ready to go. But uh, Dr. Jen, from a medical perspective with inflation, obviously, I, you already mentioned it, you know, medical prices are going nuts right now, but uh, is there anything that, that you would look for in case, you know, the currency starts to weaken? Boy, you know, I, I think it just gets back to the fragility of the entire system mm-hmm. and being prepared for that and having alternatives for care. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that is a little bit distressing for our patients is, I mean, you, there's always a balance between research and development and prices, but our population sees the highest prices around the world, which <laughs> seems really unfair. Um, but you know, just having having things on hand that um, that you know are expensive if they have a good shelf life, um, and and maybe you know having a supply of that to get you through this. But I mean, everything has to to level out over time, right? It's that short term period of time where there's a big disruption that you know that you have to be prepared for so you know if if you can if you have the ability and then again just pooling resources with people i think is important no you make a good point you know as mike was talking about uh you know obviously countries go through this currencies go through this you know the gbp used to be the british great uh you know the pound sorry i lost my train of thought there lost its global reserve currency but it's still around so you know, it'll still hold value. I don't want people thinking we're going full Venezuela here, but obviously there could be some loss of buying power with that dollar if something like that were the, like that were to happen. So, uh, Mike Sterling, what are your thoughts on this? So, I'm I'm with a good doctor on on that. Um, you know, having having not only the you know the long term use materials and stuff that you can not only you can use but you can trade. Um, you know, local barter economies are, are not necessarily a bad thing, but another thing that you can trade very, very well is skills. Um, if you've, you know, like we, we've talked about, we've talked about it before, knowledge outweighs, you know, knowledge out, outweighs gear virtually every time. Now, granted, you do have to have some tools to work with, um, but, um, you know, like, like our mag out here is very medically heavy. And we've we've worked together with a lot of things, and and you know I, I've I've talked with you about it before, Chris. But uh, one of the things that we did was we've got a couple people that are, are are senior people, but they basically brought a whole bunch of us together, and we ran a couple of weekends worth of classes for uh, assistance with prolonged care for uh, for for people so that you know those main core people they're the ones constantly running medical but then the rest of us essentially would wind up assisting them with additional with additional help so that and that's that's just a great example of of being able to do that and if you can provide those you know possible medical services even if it's just for you know hey you know, this guy cut him, cut his leg open while he was while he was working on the on, on the yard, and there's no other medical support available. Well, we can take care of that medical. You know, we can you know assist you with a with, with medical support on that sort of thing locally. Um, but yeah, skills skills are a are a huge thing, and like we've talked about before, if if you can fix something, if you can maintain something, that automatically puts you a couple of rungs up. I mean, that that is a big thing. 
No, it really is. You look at, you know, back in the Great Depression, things like that, reusing things, being more resourceful with what you have. Uh, you know, if your money is going less, uh, can buy you less than what you had before, you need to make sure that you can repurpose things. Or if you have the skills to fix it your own, uh, that's a really good asset to have. So something to work on now. Knowledge is pretty much free on the Internet. You can find pretty much anything you need uh, to kind of start working on that. So kind of identify some skills that you have that maybe you could start building up a little bit. I'm not saying you got to start a side hustle and monetize everything, but just something that you know how to do to, you know, really help elevate your community is a great thing to do in case we see some type of inflationary event or period of time that we have to live through. So, wow, that was an excellent talk. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming out today and our panelists. Uh, it was great having you all on the show. Uh, we're looking forward to having Mike and Dr. Jen back again. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming on today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course, it was great. Now, for everybody who made it this far in the video, make sure you get down in the comment section. Let us know uh, what things are you watching and how would you prepare for them? I want to hear from you. Uh, so with that, stay safe out there and we'll catch you on the next one.